Is America finally done with Fauci? I'm Paul Dragu, and that's our discussion for this episode of Freedom is the Cure. For nearly two agonizing years, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, was the loudmouth of the American government medical machine. When COVID-19 landed on U.S. soil, most of us knew very little about Fauci, despite his being a multi-decade bureaucratic fixture. They told us that COVID would kill millions of Americans. And it made sense, in the shadow of such fear propaganda, to accept that this little old man with gray hair and good intentions, who's been charged with guarding Americans' health since 1984, would be the Moses to lead us out of the COVID-19 wilderness. But over time, people started to realize that Fauci's words and suggestions were destroying our lives. We were losing our businesses, our minds, and our sanity. Our kids were becoming dumber and emotionally mutilated. The already high rate of suicides became even steeper because, in large part, of Fauci. Instead of living up to his Hippocratic oath, it sure looked like he was doing the opposite. He was doing massive harm. Today, Fauci's not around so much anymore. Some are suggesting he's completely disappeared. My guest today is Selwyn Duke, a frequent contributor to The New American, who has also written for a number of other publications, including The Hill, Observer, The American Conservative, World Net Daily, American Thinker, and others. Selwyn is a prolific writer and commentator, and I'm honored to have him join me. He has written extensively about Fauci, including a piece titled The Incredible Disappearing Fauci. It's great to be with you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Now, Selwyn, do you remember uh, your introduction to Dr. F Anthony Fauci? Were, were you one of the many Americans who, despite his, his decades-long fixture as part of the government, you didn't really know about him? And was your introduction to him like most of us once uh, COVID hysteria hit? Yeah, I can't give you chapter and verse. I can't tell you the exact day when I was introduced to him, but absolutely, that's when he became a household name. And of course, we can tell that he absolutely loves it, which is why I and some others have theorized, Paul, that he might be a narcissist because he just loves being in front of the camera way too much. And of course, it would explain a lot of things as well, wouldn't it? It would explain why he changes his story all the time, because if you want to stay relevant, you can't say the same thing over and over again. You've got to come up with a new story. And of course, he would do that every two weeks or so, changing his story. And then, of course, the media would cover him again. And you might say, well, how could he get away with it? Well, Benito Mussolini, the Italian dictator, once said that he learned when he was a journalist that you could tell one lie to people one day and then two weeks later tell a different lie and they wouldn't catch on to it because people's memories were short. Well, with the media facilitating that, not holding the man accountable, of course, it was very, very easy. So, yeah. <laughs> when, when did you realize that he was changing his story? Did you approach... The reason I ask this is because I, we obviously, I'm, I'm one of pr probably millions who approached Fauci or saw, learned of Fauci and didn't think much of it. It's like, okay, that's another bureaucrat. He's part of some, you know, me medical agency of the government and whatnot. And of course, we didn't know, even though the, the information was out there and, and we had no way of, or I didn't anticipate we, I would have the perception of him that I do now. When did you start to realize that this person is very destructive? And, and obviously, at some point, you, you formed up the opinion that he's also a narcissist. 
Yeah, well, basically very early on because it was very obvious that he was lying, wasn't telling the truth. I mean, remember, we had the data that we, many of us, understand now to be true early on. Remember, Italy was hit very hard by COVID very, very early in 2020, and we saw those horrible pictures coming out of Italy. And of course, we understand now some weren't actually from Italy, or at least things were exaggerated. But anyway, we knew then that the average age of the deceased from COVID in Italy was 79.5, and those who had comorbidities were 99 plus percent. I remember those statistics. So we knew who was imperiled early on. Yet you saw people like Fauci really misrepresenting the danger of the disease. And I'll just point out how he lies. Here's something I've never forgotten. Go back to 2020, January 21st and February 29th. Remember that latter date, February 29th, very important. He was on television telling the American people that COVID was no big deal, nothing to worry about, don't really need to change your habits. Then in an Easter Sunday interview with Jake Tapper, here's what he said. He said that he told the administration, the Trump administration, in late February that we had to take action, that the situation was dire. I'm using my own words. This is not verbatim, but that's what he said. So either he was lying February 29th when he said what he said there to the American people, or he was lying to Jake Tapper on Easter Sunday. And that's just one example of his many, many lies. Well, yeah, let's let's go into that. Let's talk about his his lies and slash harmful dictates, as we can call them. You know, some would argue that he can't be dictates. He doesn't have the power. But we obviously saw what he said go into go into practice. And obviously it ended up destroying and we'll talk about that. So let's talk, for instance, lockdowns. We had the data before on lockdowns, right? And absolutely. There's no question. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. So, so lockdowns was one of those things. And then, of course, just what a month ago we learned, it's like they caused, was it Johns Hopkins who said enormous harm, uh, but he pushed lockdowns uh, and, 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 and that's one of others. What other, uh, you know, people talk about flip flops, you know, can you go into, you know, the other, his flip flops, his harmful dictates? Yeah, sure. Well, we all know the one pertaining to masks where he initially said in that interview, well, you know, they're not really as effective as people think. They might block a droplet, blah, blah, blah. That's what he said. And of course, then he flip-flopped later on. Then he excused that. He said, well, it was because we wanted to save the masks for the emergency workers. Then I think later on, still, he said, well, maybe you should wear two masks and who knows where the guy was going to go, five masks and Darth Vader's helmet. I mean, it was just unbelievable. He was absolutely all over the place. And, you know, that it's not exactly a lie. We also heard him say, well, maybe we had to give up the shaking of hands, just cast away that tradition. But then he said later on when he was asked in an interview, well, if you meet someone on social media, and you want to hook up with the person, well, that's up to you. It's all a matter of how much risk you want to take. So he was talking out of both sides of his mouth, and he wasn't really behaving like someone who was following the science. And really, you don't follow science. You follow scientists, and then you have to decide which scientists you want to follow. You know, that's not pointed out. Different scientists say different things. It's not like science is there with a capital S, and it's a deity, and it tells you the unvarnished truth and exactly what you're supposed to do. But it was really terrible because early on, like I said, we knew what the facts were. You mentioned lockdowns, Paul. 
Well, we had this fellow, Newt Witkowski, who had a very high position. He was the head of a department. He was an epidemiologist at the Rockefeller University in New York City. And he gave this long interview early in 2020, and he said, we should never have locked down. This is according to him. I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but he said what you do in these situations when you have a deadly virus in the population is you shield the vulnerable people, okay? Then you let the virus spread to the people who are not vulnerable so you can develop herd immunity among them. And then after a few weeks, he said, he said that's as long as it takes, the virus becomes exterminated. That's the word he used. And then he said, then the younger people can get back together with their grandparents. Now, I don't know if he was right or not, but what happened to him? Well, he was censored by social media. His interview was taken off YouTube. And this happened to so many people who were experts such as him, you know, people who had sterling resumes. And think about how contradictory it is. On the one hand, we were told at the time, and stop me if I'm going on too long, that this is a novel virus and we don't know much about it. But then on the other hand, they wanted to censor anyone who was contradicting the government narrative. That makes no sense. If you truly don't know much about the situation, you should want to inspire and encourage robust debate. You should want all voices, especially all expert voices, to come to the table and render their opinions. But of course, that's not what happened. And Fauci was a big part of this scam. He was a person who was encouraging the censorship Remember something else, okay, what we went through. Again, people have short memories, they forget this. And Fauci, again, was part of this. First, we heard, we just need two weeks to lock down to flatten the curve. That's it, two weeks. Okay, then after that, they said, mm, not, not enough. We can't get back to normal until we have 14 straight days of declining infections. Remember that one? Yeah. Then after that, that wasn't enough. Then they said, well, actually, we can't get back to normal until we have a vaccine. Then we had a vaccine and we still couldn't get back to normal. Now, you see, I have this funny little quirk, Paul, very, very strange. When people constantly move the goalposts on me, I don't trust them anymore because I figure either A, they don't know what they're talking about and are just shifting with the winds or B, they're lying or C, both. But that's just me. So what do you think, which, uh, which of those do you think Fauci is, uh, is, is mostly doing? Uh, you know, a lot of it obviously would be speculation, but uh, is there, you think it's a combination of ineptness and just, just malintentions or what's this guy's deal? No, I do. I do. I think it's both ineptitude and deceitfulness. And there was this Nobel Prize winner who invented, I forget exactly what he originated, was the PCR test, don't quote me in this, I may even have the acronym wrong there, but Carrie Mullins, he said Fauci doesn't know anything about anything. He said that Fauci, he'd be willing to debate Fauci anytime, unfortunately Mullins has passed away. But that's just one example. You know, you have to remember, you're talking about the government here. And unfortunately in the government, you don't always get the best and the brightest. What is Fauci? Who is Fauci? What are his credentials? Now, I'm not very, very big on credentials because we have a lot of credentialed idiots out there, but a lot of other people are. So remember, Fauci was never what the media portrayed him as having been. They often led you to believe he was an immunologist. Like they would say, well, he's working as an immunologist at the NIAID. Notice they said working. What is his degree in? He has an MD in internal medicine. That's it. 
Nothing wrong with that. I have an in-law relative who's got one of those things, but he's not an epidemiologist. He's not a virologist. He's not an immunologist. Get the gist? Yeah. <laughs> but he was portrayed as being something else. And we also have to ask more significantly, okay, because again, these are just on paper credentials. What has the man ever done? What has he originated? What has he invented? Why has he been in government since 1968? People don't realize that he's been with that entity, NIAID, for that long. He's been the head of it since 84, but he's been with it since 68. He's never really done anything in the private sector. So why should we be listening to him? But these are the people who are censoring everyone else, far, far greater minds than Fauci's. Well, there's now there it's it's plainly known that the government and, and his agency specifically has obviously has been working with media and big tech, like you said, like you had mentioned, the this silencing campaign. You know, and speaking of experts, um, as of recently and perhaps not even that recently, uh, for the last year or whatnot, these ex- Lots of experts who are epidemiologists, who who are vaccine experts, many of whom have been on the New American, have come out uh, to to talk about, for instance, early treatment protocol. Now, you and I probably look like the same age or whatnot, but you know we've lived long enough to know that a basic tenet of of medical care is is early treatment. Now, isn't it amazing that through all this madness? There was no early treatment. You know, I had COVID a couple times and I had various symptoms and whatnot. And I got to be to have one of those experiences where essentially it was it was like unless you're blue in the face and you can't breathe, uh, there's there's nothing necessarily we can do for you. Isn't that crazy that that Fauci being in the position he was for so long? And as far as I know, there still his agency still has not come up with early treatment. Well, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because he literally has blood on his hands. I know that you know the name Dr. Peter McCullough. Well, he's a renowned COVID doctor. He's an internist like Fauci. Also, he's a cardiologist. He's also worked in the private sector for a long time. He's actually done things. He's one of the more published experts in his fields. He's been treating COVID patients. He said that if we had developed an early and proper treatment protocol, that 85% of the people who died of COVID would have been saved. Now think about those numbers. We don't know exactly what they are because the government numbers can't be relied on. They might say, well, almost a million people now have died of COVID. We don't really know if that's true. It's no doubt a lot lower than that. But whatever the number is, 85% of the people could have been saved. And we knew early on, according to McCullough, how to treat this disease. He said, it's a three-step process. First, you inhibit the viral replication. Then you treat the immune system dysregulation. Then you treat the thrombosis. And in that way, you can get people through this illness. That's what he said. He said that they got this information, at least in part, from their colleagues in Italy who were dealing with this problem again early on in 2020. So it's not as if Fauci couldn't have known. The medical establishment should have known our government health experts. That's why I say they have blood on their hands and they've been demonizing ivermectin. And by the way, let me point out, no one's saying that you just take ivermectin and you get all better. It's part of a treatment protocol. You take ivermectin along with other therapeutics and they are effective. There's no doubt about it. We know that now. I've seen it myself. A couple of vulnerable people I know of, one of them you know too, one of them you don't know, were having symptoms of COVID that were actually getting scary, trouble breathing. 
Well, in both cases, they took ivermectin. They felt better right away almost. One of them, this woman close to me said she felt better literally five minutes later. She said she never saw a medication work so fast. And then she adhered to the protocol, which like I said, involves a lot more than just ivermectin and she recovered. So it's disgusting what Fauci has done. And that's why you have to wonder what's going on in his head. Is he a narcissist where he'll literally let the world burn, let hundreds of thousands of people die as long as he can exalt himself? I mean, you really have to wonder about that. Well, Robert Kennedy, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wrote a book and, you know, you and I had discussed it off camera and I've, I've read most of it. And, and uh, what he details in the history of Fauci, for instance, apparently this is kind of a replica of what happened during the AIDS crisis. Uh, again, as 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 his heavily cited book says, you know, during the AIDS crisis, uh, the 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 other market, not the government, you know, others were looking into remedies, and they seemed to have been working, and they were pleading with the government to 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 take some action, to, to fund some of this, to get the word out, these remedies and whatnot, and they, and they refuse to until it finally hit some sort of crescendo where, where the government finally, at least you pretended to take, uh, to take some action. And just like, uh, just like now, they pushed drugs that weren't necessarily working. And, and with the AIDS crisis, it was AZT. Uh, here, some would argue that remdesivir and some, those drugs are not working while the, he's uh, ignoring or suppressing the use of drugs, like you had mentioned, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that work. Uh, it's, it's quite astounding, uh, the, the, the parallels. Um, now, as people begin to realize this, he, they start, we started to push back. America started to push back uh, more on Fauci. And I think it's fair to say it's reached a point where everyone is aware. On January, I think, 27th or something like that, you know, the Washington Post wrote, wrote a fawning piece. It reads like a, reads like a PR piece, really, on, on Dr. Fauci about how, let me see, I have it here. It says, Fauci, Anthony Fauci's up against more than a virus. And, and of course, he's up against conspiracy theorists and anti-science people and whatnot. So I think it's, it's, it's now, it seems like um, he may have become a liability and, and we see less of him, which brings us to, to your piece. Uh, some would argue that he hasn't disappeared. You know, Ukraine has taken over or whatnot. You argue that he has disappeared. And I think, you, if I'm not mistaken, you argue that he's become a political liability. Is that your, uh, yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you have to remember, you can't really blame this on Ukraine or attribute it to Ukraine because Fauci's disappearance predates the invasion of Ukraine. And it's very, very obvious that the Democrats now want to change the narrative because they've seen the polling. They've seen that people are finally fed up with all of these ridiculous branch Covidian restrictions. They're fed up with lockdowns. They want to move on. And the Democrats, of course, want to try to win in November. And so now they've got to put Fauci on the back burner. And that's why you're not seeing him in mainstream media anymore. And that's really, really striking because this is a man who was a fixture in mainstream media, as you know. And now he's been relegated to these podcasts like this Woke AF podcast and the F <laughs> stands for the F word. I mean, really classy, right? right? And the hosts, I think it was on that podcast, asked him, why aren't we vaccinating bats, bats. instead of people? <laughs> yeah. These are the kinds of questions he's getting now. And 
Fauci had to remain patient there and explain, well, there are billions of bats, (laughs) and I guess they don't want to kill bats anyway, so why would they vaccinate them? I mean, you don't want to give the bats heart attacks and that GBR syndrome, (laughs) or GB syndrome, I should say. Right. No, it's just just ridiculous. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, uh, I mean, do you think that we have finally seen the last of them or are, are, are we going to see more of them after after the election? Are they, are they just waiting perhaps to salvage what uh, is showing to be just just a trouncing in, in, in November? And then it's like, oh, let's roll Fauci back out again. Yeah, well, obviously, if the Democrats can somehow retain power, then we're in big trouble because what's going to happen around November? You're going to have the respiratory disease season again in full swing, right? That's what happens. You have colds, Mm. you have flus when the winter sets in and you'll have COVID too. And so, of course, they can restart this whole thing conceivably, unless the polling on that is just so bad that they don't want to take that chance. Now, It has been rumored that actually they might be moving Fauci out of his position finally. I don't know if those rumors are true or not. Certainly, he's 81 years old. And as I said, he's been with his bureaucracy since 1968. He's our country's highest paid bureaucrat, I believe. So they certainly could have a good pretext for removing him. Just say, look, we need some new blood. He's been there for long enough. But it is unbelievable what's been going on with this man. Yeah. Well, with him and, and the entire two years of COVID hysteria, there are, there are several lawsuits flying around, and I'm actually not sure if any of them are actually against have him as a defendant. But should we not hold our breath that some that at some point someone might try to indict him for, for criminal charges? I know that certain lawmakers have mentioned it. Uh, does that uh, ring a bell? Uh, possibly indicting him for criminal charges. Uh, should we should we not get too excited about the possibility that uh, Fauci might end up on the other end of a lawsuit? Well, we can certainly hope for it. I mean, you never <laughs> want to throw up your hands and just give up. But I also wouldn't hold my breath waiting. I mean, these people in the establishment, these pseudo elites, as I call them, they really never get held accountable. And like I've been saying for years, being a liberal today means never having to say you're sorry. And you have to remember, if we go, we're going to hold him accountable, we'd have to really hold the whole establishment accountable. And that's the problem. That's why it would take, I think, a veritable political revolution for this to happen, because you really need people in there who are going to be not from the establishment and who are going to have the power to hold these people to account and who are going to have the guts to do it. Because I really think, and this occurred to me with former Attorney General Barr, Bill Barr, I said, you know, one reason why he might not want to hold the deep staters accountable in the way we'd like is that he knows these are people who will seek revenge. He knows these are people who fight no holds barred and that when he's out of power, they'll go after him. And maybe, I'm just theorizing now, maybe he's thinking, well, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in jail pursuing what might be a fool's errand because it may not work anyway. So we can hope, and these people should be held accountable. There's no doubt about it. But like I said, you know, unfortunately, the fix is in with this establishment. It's a tough situation. There's some who have illustrated... um some willingness to go at him. I think the one who stands out the most is, for instance, Rand Paul. Uh, 
you know, no. before Rand Paul actually blew the doors off and like, oh, they were doing gain of function. That was more like a conspiracy theory, right? And then Rand Paul blew the doors right. off of that. He can he pushed and he pushed and he pushed, and so now it's 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 obviously clear that that's what they were doing. He showed they were doing. You know, if if Republicans were to gain uh, power in November. Is there any possibility that perhaps, you know, Rand Paul and the few could lead something to say to finally go not only after Fauci, but, you know, I've heard mutterings that, that, that this is something they're considering is totally going after uh, with criminal charges the way this this was done. I mean, we're going to look back in history in this and there's just a multitude of insane things that happened during this. And it would be obviously sad for us to move on and not pursue uh, what seems to be criminal, you know, I mean, I yeah. don't know, like you said, don't hold your hand, don't hold your breath. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you 100% and we should push for it, but we have to understand what we're up against. I said we were up against the whole establishment. Let's be clear on how this works, Paul. People love to say, well, the Democrats are evil or they're bad, however conservatives want to put it, and the Republicans are the stupid party. Well, it's not really that simple. It's not that they're the stupid party. It's that they have the whole culture against them. And as Andrew Breitbart put it, and of course, this is just an old truth, politics is downstream from culture. And how does it work? Well, let me give you an example. Let's just take the issue of so-called same-sex marriage as an example. Now, that was an innovation not that long ago, a social innovation. But nonetheless, it was treated by the whole media and academia and entertainment realm and big tech as if all of a sudden it was the status quo and any opposition to it was bizarre and strange radicalism. So what happened was, is that a Democrat could come out and he could support faux marriage. That's what I call it. And he would be applauded in the media, in big tech, everywhere. And of course, it might only enhance, increase his reelection chances. If a Republican came out against it, he could speak pure truth, but it was a situation where he'd be demonized in the media and in entertainment and elsewhere. He'd be portrayed as a hater, as someone who is exclusive, as a bigot. And so if you're a politician and you see this, you might just say, well, you know, the percentages aren't really with me. Maybe I'll just go with the flow and not rock the boat too much. And that is what we're up against. And that's why the Republicans are often loath to act in these situations. It's the same thing with COVID. I mean, you start going after all these people. Remember, a lot of people in the media are implicated too because they were pushing this nonsense. So maybe they couldn't be brought up on charges, but nonetheless, if you bring down this whole branch COVIDian establishment, they go down with it because they were the informational facilitators. That's what they were. I, I would argue, and I and I think I think you may agree, is that all, when you talk about this messaging apparatus that has has you know played a bully role and has and has cowered uh, people into not saying the truth and, and the things that really matter, I would argue that that's churning. You know, I, obviously the culture. I don't think the culture is for the establishment, the American people, the public. I wholeheartedly believe are pro-America, are against a lot of this nonsense. The messaging apparatus, as I think is what you were referring to, is not. It's clearly an elite messaging apparatus that, that works uh, to bully and to form consensus and to form or reinforce uh, ideas and notions that are not popular. But I think that's churning. You know, I, I know this is somewhat of a different topic, but I think I think the I think it's things are turning upside down. And I, I would argue, you know, I think it was Axios who did a piece, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, that uh, 
that the media, mainstream media, is no longer as as influential as it was, and that apparently the the Republican Party has been taken over by conspiracy theorists, which which in code really means that um, the establishment is losing power. So I guess we could hope for that. <laughs> you know, uh, obviously we yeah. have no way of knowing. Uh, but you you write extensively. You're 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 such an integral part of the media, and maybe we can finish that. Uh, do you see the messaging apparatus, the 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 bullhorn, being uh, somewhat grabbed from the establishment and uh, alternative media coming up, and this playing a massive role in perhaps, uh, for instance, I don't know, bringing Fauci to justice. Well, there's no doubt that you have this battle here. I wrote an article about this many years ago titled The Race for the American Mind, and that's what it was about, how you have this new media coming to the fore trying to bring people the truth. But on the other hand, you had this establishment media that was trying to tamp it down, and that was the race for the American mind. And yeah, we do see alternative media. At the same time, though, we see very, very brazen big tech censorship, mm -hmm. which is extremely powerful. I mean, the average person does not understand the kind of power that big tech wields. I've seen my own articles censored, for instance, by Google, put down way down in Google in the search. And statistically, most users don't look beyond the third page of Google. So if you, they put you beyond that page, you're basically in Internet Siberia. So this is very significant. How powerful is it? I'll give you an example. There's this psychologist who's a liberal, by the way, Robert Epstein. I'm sure you've heard of him. He studied big tech influence. And he warned before the 2020 election, he was on Tucker Carlson's show numerous times, at least a couple of times anyway. He said that if big tech supports one particular candidate, they have the capacity to shift 15 million votes nationwide towards that candidate in an election. Now think about that. Elections nowadays generally hinge on a very small percentage of the vote, maybe 5%, whatever. If you can shift 15 million votes one way or the other, you can decide who our next president is going to be. So that's the kind of power we're talking about. And it's very, very insidious. And I've seen the New American, of course, censored. It goes along with it. And remember when I say this, if it's happening to me, it's happening to thousands upon thousands of other conservative entities and individuals. That's the point. It's done based on algorithm and basically artificial intelligence. That's what's so insidious about it. And it really is, like I said, very, very significant. It's hard to combat. You know, the way I like to put it, stop me if I'm going on too long, but this is the analogy I use. A lot of people will say, well, just start your own Google or start your own Facebook. It's not that simple because these are the entities that control the flow of information. And basically, I would put it like this. Let's say you want to compete with Walmart, Paul. You can open up a store across from Walmart, and maybe you can't match its prices. I don't know. That's tough to do. But you can open that store, and you can compete. And customers are going to walk by, and they can decide to go into Walmart or your place. But let's say now Walmart could actually take your store and move it into the middle of a forest so that there basically was no foot traffic except for the odd hiker here and there, okay? You wouldn't be able to do any business at all. Now, why do I make that analogy? Because that's the capacity Google has, big tech has. Yeah. What they can do is, like I said before, they can relegate you to internet Siberia. They can hide you on the 20th page of Google, do other things like that, Facebook can choke off your traffic, Twitter, the same thing, shadow ban you. And then basically it's as if they've put you in a forest. Yes, you have your website, 
you know, you have the URL, which is basically the address. You've got the website itself, which is like the physical structure, but how many people are going to come across it? That's what we're up against. Wow, you paint uh, a dismal picture there, Sal. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's hopeless. You have to fight the good fight. And you have to remember ov overall, the main thing is it's in God's hands, yeah. you know, trust in God. The idea here in this world is to fight the good fight, win, lose, or draw in this world. That's the bottom line. You don't want to throw up your hands. I know this may seem to contradict what I just said. You don't want to throw up your hands and take your ball and go home. I see that all the time. People who either get sick of it because they're bombarded with lies and misinformation and they just don't want to deal with it anymore. Don't give into that. That's exactly one of the strategies of the yeah. other side. They want to overwhelm people with information and attacks until they just can't take it anymore. So no, you have to fight the good fight. I'm just saying there's a lot against us, but as G.K. Chesterton, the philosopher put it, he said, there's nothing like a good fight. And he right. was talking about a social or a cultural or a political battle. You know, you should love spreading the truth. It should enliven you. And that's a reward in and of itself, just spreading the truth. So well, God keeps score. That's the bottom line. Don't worry about that. We just have to do our jobs on the battlefield. I, I love it, man. I love it. And that's uh, one of our sayings here is, um, you know, our founder, Robert Welch of the John Burr Society, one of the sayings he had was that truth is our only weapon. And I, I, I want to finish with that because while they may have the apparatus or it seems like the influence and a lot of the power, we have truth. And I believe we have we have the numbers. And like you said, we, we can't. I don't know if you said we can't give up. I think you may have said we shouldn't, but I don't see any other choice. There's no choice. Like giving up is not not a choice because that is what their intentions are. Mm -hmm. They want to they want to frustrate you and they want to uh, make you so depressed and feel hopeless that you're not going to do anything. That's always been part of a, uh, a the, of a propaganda campaign, and we can't have that. We can't do that. You know, here at the John Birch Society, we're seeing membership increase. We are seeing uh, new American uh, subscribers increase. Uh, there's a lot to be hopeful for, and like bottom line, as we, I think we both agree, is we don't have a choice. Giving up is not a choice. Yeah. You know, so no, it's not a choice at all. Yeah, because they're not going to leave you alone. I mean, I've heard people say in the past that we have to create our own parallel society. And that's fine in many respects, but you can't just disengage from the political sphere because you may not be interested in politics. But guess what? Politics is interested in you. Right. That's right. how it works. You can say, I'm going to homeschool my kids. That's great. You should. But if you don't fight to make sure that homeschooling is given respect, what's going to happen is the left is going to totally seize control and they're going to outlaw homeschooling. That's just one example. So you have to be engaged. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned homeschooling. Uh, I think that's a great example. We homeschool our child. And there is there is this underlying anxiety. I wouldn't call it fear because there's nothing to indicate that so, so far that that should be something we worry about. But it's like, you know, in Germany, for instance, you're not allowed to just homeschool. Uh, this it's not it's not too crazy. And remember when Biden said uh, they'd be coming to your door for for uh, to give you the shot, you know, to check to check on. They're not going to leave you alone. You're absolutely right. They're not going to leave you alone. You, you can want to retire in, in, in the woods and, and hide out. I don't know, in, in Alaska somewhere or whatnot. They're coming for you. Uh, they, they will. Yeah. They have proven that. So uh, well, unless you got any last words. So do you have any last words? Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
something G.K. Chesterton, who I just mentioned, said pertains to this. He put it very well. I'm paraphrasing. He said, the great mistake of conservatism is in believing that if you leave things alone, they remain the same. He said they do not. If you leave a thing alone, it becomes subject to a torrent of change. And that's absolutely true. That's why we have to be proactive. You know, it's sort of like this. You know that everything requires maintenance. If you allow a house or a car to just sit, what happens? It doesn't remain new and beautiful. It starts to deteriorate without an application of energy. The same thing is true of our culture and our political sphere. Without an application of energy, it starts to deteriorate. It moves towards disorder. And that's what today's leftism really is. Understand that. It's not an ideology. It's movement towards moral disorder, if you want to understand it. And we have to be proactive in fighting that. We can't sit back and say, well, you know, things are going to remain the same. Don't worry. But no, they won't remain the same. You know, the funny thing is, I think other people have put it this way, but a conservative basically minds his own business. Okay, he may not want to live the way, let's say, some liberal in Greenwich Village does, but he doesn't worry about that. He says, okay, they can do their own thing. But leftists view the world differently, Paul. If there's some person living in a small town in Alabama, let's say the leftists are in New York, but this person's in a small town in Alabama living in a way that they don't approve of, they're up in arms. They've got to stop him. The attitude is somewhere someone disagrees with me. He must be crushed. That really is their attitude. So you have to have the same kind of dogged determination. You have to understand this really is a fight to the cultural death. Culture wars are zero-sum games. There's no doubt about it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Thank you, Selwyn. Selwyn Duke, uh, for joining us. Thank you. And, Thank you. And, God bless. And folks, you can, uh, you can read Selwyn's articles on The New American. And uh, thanks again, Selwyn, for joining us. Well, folks, if we've learned anything these last two years, it's that having the paternal, inept, and destructive overgrown government we have is a terrible idea. It empowers little Napoleons like Fauci and his medical tyranny army. Whether you believe the damage that government has caused in the last two years was intentional or simply the result of ineptness, it's hard to argue with the result. So here at the John Birch Society, we have worked very hard to help Americans learn the importance of small government and how to go about achieving that. The last two years has helped bolster the point that centralized power hurts the governed. The time for freedom is long overdue. It's time for small constitutional government and more personal responsibility. If you're ready to defend and restore this country, if you're ready to work toward ensuring America for the next generation, we ask that you join us. Check out the links below. And always remember that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.